Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman. Today I'm joined by Doug Pratt, CEO of Greenwich Metals and formerly head of North American Bulk Trading for Trafigura. Thanks for joining, Doug. Thanks for having me, Paul. Great. I guess I wanted to start off by focusing on some of the changes that you've seen in the metals markets, the, the traded markets over the last decade. What, what's, what sticks out in your mind as some of the biggest changes that have happened um, since before the financial crisis? Sure. So, you know, a lot of things have changed over the last, you know, 10 plus years. You know, to, to kind of think about it in terms of different parts of the market, you know, you've got, um, you know, the, the trading community, you've got the, you know, the producers um, of the various products and, and the consumers of the various products. There's been, you know, a significant amount, probably of more than 10 years, uh, consolidation on the, you know, on the producer and consumer side. You know, every year you find that there's one less kind of counterparty, um, you know, that's out there to trade with. And at the same time, you know, the, you know, the market continues to, to be focused, you know, quite a bit on, on China and kind of what China is doing. And, um, you know, the materials themselves flow to where the best prices are, um, like in any market. But, you know, I would say consolidation is probably, you know, the leading thing at the moment on that, on that side. What, what's, what's behind that consolidation? What's driving it? Uh, you know, it depends. You know, if you look at, for instance, you know, the aluminum market, um, you've got quite, quite a bit of production that's really dominated in, in places like China. And when you look at the consumer side, you know, a lot of the consumers um, over the years take Novellus, you know, and, uh, and Alaris as an example recently, you know, they, they continue to, to make the same types of products and, you know, the world isn't changing in terms of um, the consumption, if you will, when you're looking at automo- automotive or building, a lot of these companies tend to be- make a lot of the same types of products and their markets, they aren't shrinking, but they tend to, to really run into margin squeezes where um, you find that a lot of these companies can't, can't exist with the level of competition that's been out there. Huh. And what has that meant for the markets themselves? How has that impacted trading? Well, you know, on the trading side, generally what you found is, and it's not just, let's say, on the, on the aluminum um, market, but also across most of the base metals, you find that you've got a lot of very large traders, which trade, you know, very big volumes with relatively small, call it, you know, one to 2% margins, gross margins. Um, and that business model basically is pushing out, you know, very large quantities of, 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 uh, of product through their system into these big, you know, from the big producers into the big consumers. <clears throat> so what you find is, you know, that smaller market or the smaller uh, players tend to to be missed. So they, that's not the focus, let's, let's say, typically of the big uh, trading groups. Um, what happens is you find, because of that, a lot of the margins being squeezed generally on those commodities. So you've got this, I guess, what's happened in the on the producer and consumer side has been mirrored on the trading side where you've got these yeah, a handful of very large organizations trading compared to say 20 years ago when you had just a number of smaller trading houses 
Um, and that in turn has a, has had a knock-on impact on kind of who and how they, they service their customers. Yeah, that, no, that's exactly right. So, um, you know, again, take aluminum as an example. When, when you see the markets where they are today, where you've got, you know, um, very wide contangos, you know, beyond what the carrying cost is, you know, and production generally not slowing down, you know, you see the big guys, you know, the big producers in different regions, um, Alcoa, Rio Tinto, they're, they're not showing any signs of slowing down producing aluminum. That aluminum demand has gone down, you know, particularly recently because of, you know, the crisis that we're going through. The, and the automotive, you know, a lot of it goes into things like the automotive business. That, that market, somewhere those tons need to be absorbed. So what happens is you, you get the larger traders um, who come in and buy those tons, <clears throat> they can finance them, you know, they can carry them and they don't necessarily need a consumer, um, particularly if they can find a way to put, you know, these tons into, into storage, um, particularly the LME storage, which will pay, you know, for that, for that, um, for that carrying cost. Mm. And I guess in the world of low interest rates, that only accelerates that trend or enables that trend, right? Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, um, it doesn't mean that, you know, if you're a small consumer that you won't necessarily get the, the aluminum that you need, or if you're, you know, if there is a small producer out there that they're, they're not going to, to produce or they may shut, what happens is, um, you know, the margins may change on that, on that lower end of the, of the um, spectrum, which isn't being focused on by the trades. Um, with the interest rates, you know, the way they are, and the way that it's looking where they're going to go, you know, this trend could go on for quite a while, you know, different, um, you know, than the oil markets, there isn't really a tightness of storage. Uh, you can, you can sit on aluminum, you know, on a slab of cement anywhere in the world. Yeah. How has technology changed things? I mean, I sort of think of the metals trader 20 years ago, he or she jetting, there'd be he at that point, but jetting around the world, you know, meeting with small producers in far-flung parts of the world, um, you know, essentially using their um, the asymmetry of price knowledge to to make trades. Right. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think there's been a lot of smart people that have tried to find ways to use technology to make the metal trading, you know, metal trading or metal producing or just the metal flow um, simpler. You know, there's quite a lot of paper that's involved, and, and that's always been the case over, you know, since since the industry's been in existence. I think it's really very hard to do some of this stuff because, in the end, you know, there is a lot of relationship-based activity, which, you know, is hard to pull away from in terms of visiting clients and and understanding their needs and and so on. You know, the 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 more commodity. Uh, plain vanilla, if you will, type products can flow through some of these um, trading platforms, you know, some of the the online matching systems or potentially some of the, you know, uh, systems that allow for uh, security of payment or security of document flow. But it, it, you know, it's pretty much from from at least from what we've seen, it's pretty much focused on that larger volume, you know, bigger um, trade flows, which which again, that, you know, that, that type of business is in the hands of the, 
of the very big trading companies. And they typically have their own sort of infrastructure in place that does those functions. So, um, you know, it's interesting. It's an interesting one. I, I don't know how it's going to play out. I mean, I think probably people will start looking at the technology, um, you know, some of these platforms, what's available there, because I would assume, you know, traveling starts to, to um, you know, traveling all over the world, you know, will start to slow down a little bit because of what's going on. And, you know, if you can, if you can put some of these trades through some of these platforms, um, particularly the larger ones, and the margins aren't going to change. I mean, they're already quite low, um, uh, you know, and you can then reduce, you know, some staff or some other costs. I would think that that probably will start to take, um, you know, a little bit, people will look at that a little bit more as time goes by. Mm. Which which represents, I think, something that's faced by all of the commodity um, value chains traded side. Um, you know, if you are going to automate traffic or operations, analytics, those were traditionally your nursery ponds for um, new talent for the next generation. Um, and if you're commensurately shrinking those, it's how do you and where do you get that next generation from? Especially when ultimately, as you're saying, you still need that high touch relationship building, you know, servicing the client needs sort of um, face-to-face business um, or at least video conference to video conference in this world. Um, how, because I guess metals in contrast to say a barrel of oil, you know, they are, they're done to spec. It's, it's relatively, it's much more fungible. Have you seen hedge funds, the, 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 the derivatives piece take advantage of that? How has, whether it's, I guess, hedge funds or just, um, passive investments, has that had any impact on the metals traded markets? Uh, yeah, it, it always has. I mean, for sure, you know, in the last 10 years, you know, maybe a bit more, you've seen, you know, more involvement from from some of the, you know, sort of outside players, whether it's private equity or, or hedge funds. You know, I think from, you know, say the hedge fund side of it, you know, if, if they have access to cheap money and, and particularly before this current situation where there's a lot of cheap money around, you know, they're looking to de- deploy it into the commodities markets. And if you can find, um, you know, a trade that is relatively um, straightforward where you don't need a lot of industry knowledge or product knowledge, it is something that they're interested in. You know, again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before, you know, some of these cash and carry trades on aluminum or, partic- or you know, potentially some of the... Um, the ARB trading around, you know, the COMEX LME ARB or the Shanghai LME ARB, those are typically things that are pretty interesting to the hedge fund community because it's no different than trading. It's paper trading. It's no different than trading really anything else that they probably are, are comfortable with. When you get into, you know, the raw material side, whether that be, you know, scrap or concentrates or something that needs a bit more product knowledge or, you know, detailed market knowledge, I think it's harder for them to get comfortable. I mean, they certainly have, you know, certain, certain hedge funds certainly have done it or, you know, involved themselves in it in some way. Um, but it's not, you know, again, when the markets change, those are t- typically products that aren't super liquid. You know, you may be long, you know, quite a bit of these types of products into places like China or, you know, um, 
have customers that don't perform. Those are typically things that are suited more for merchants um, to deal with because their staff, you know, is generally and the management is generally more comfortable with those kinds of things. Um, and my guess is that probably, you know, won't change too much. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, there's an argument to say that the hedge fund community, you know, in, in across the commodity space, you know, hasn't exactly, I think, you know, knocked it out of the park. Um, and typically where they have been successful, and this might be a little bit controversial, but the most successful hedge funds have typically been people who've come from the um, physical um, trading merchants, you know, are deeply in the leadership's deeply ingrained in the commodity markets, understand them, understands the different swings compared to other asset classes, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where you've seen success, right? Thinking of, you know, there's a handful of examples in each of the commodities. Um, typically, you're these sort of multi-asset class hedge funds or you know, whatever entity they are, I think have struggled when, you know, they've perhaps, um, yeah, don't have that deep legacy and background of understanding of the markets. Sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess that's true for, for anything, you know, that you would trade, yeah, you know, yeah. I think, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think um, to your point, I think you're right. When you look back over, you know, t- you know, in, hi- historically, the ones that typically have been, you know, whether it's the market and it's the timing or it's the people, you know, typically the banks and the hedge funds that have had more success are the ones that generally keep it pretty simple and do have, or, you know, have had experienced, you know, merchant type traders um, involved because, you know, the market's like anything. They when It's fine when everything's going, you know, normal, but when something goes wrong, you need to have some experience around it to deal with the problems. Uh, and that's typically, you know, where they can either make more money or give back a lot of it. Yeah. And I think, I think to refine my comment, <clears throat> excuse the pun, um, you know, is probably more about leadership, you know, the actual, I guess, who controls the money, <clears throat> the overall decision makers of the organization. It's, it's more, they're, they're more familiar. You know, there's plenty of examples of banks and hedge funds who've hired That's right. at the trader level experience, of course, but have still struggled yeah. because there's a disconnect between those traders and leadership. That's right. Um, you know, just a, perhaps a, a, a gulf of understanding in some ways. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess another change or area of change, especially more recently, has been, I guess, the trend away from globalized markets. You know, you've had trade wars, tarification. Uh, just, <clears throat> for example, in the ag space, we're seeing, um, you know, countries looking more to self-sufficiency, national champions, you know, a variety of ways to sort of protect vital flows of commodities. What's going on in the metals markets? Right, right. Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, similar to the discussion on technology, we had, I mean, it's, I think time will tell. I think, you know, not in a 10-year period, but if you go back maybe, I don't know, 20, 25-year period, China wasn't really a very big part of the metals market back back then in the early 90s or so. Um, you know, you were dealing with places like Russia and, and um, you know, China wasn't really on the map. Um, when you fast forward, you know, China is a huge part of the metals market and it's extremely important because of how things have changed, particularly, um, you know, you have quite a lot of production that's moved to China on the metal side <clears throat> for a lot of different reasons. Um, and, you know, that seems to be, you know, sitting here, us uh, sitting here in the United States, 
that seems to be something that could change. You could see, you know, the United States particularly take back some certain production here. I mean, it's not such a simple thing to, you know, build a smelter or, or you know, move a, an automotive um, company or production line. But I think you will see that you know, not only here in the United States, but I think you'll see that, you know, across the globe as as countries start to say, well, you know, look, we can do this here and it's really not that much of a different cost basis anymore. And it employs people and there's some sense of security and, and so on. Um, so I, th I think that will over time happen, um, but I think it'll take time. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Of course, unlike perhaps the agri markets, there's less facility on the production side to, you know, you can only dig it out where it is, um, you know, putting it simply, right? Um, what, so going the role of the merchant, so it, if I'm understanding correctly, you've had this huge consolidation. So you've got a small number of big players that have the, the balance sheets, the financing capability to um, operate in these the low margin environment, um, high volume high volume products um and then you've got a handful of smaller perhaps more regionalized yeah. merchants is that is that a pretty yeah. good description of the landscape out there yeah i think so i mean i think you know where we sit here at at uh, gmi i mean we generally most of our colleagues came from the bigger trading companies and um you know gmi is a, is a quite small you know relatively newer um company uh although it's been around for a long time the the i think the focus really is it's very hard at least and at least from what we've seen it's very hard to uh manage let's call it the the service aspect um of the business when you're moving you know huge volumes all the time it's really not the priority not that it doesn't happen but it's it's not the focus if you will once you start to come down into the smaller um, trading companies or, or, or you know, um, you know, entities that are involved in, as middlemen, um, you know, they're much more focused on the product knowledge, you know, where things go, how to manage the service, um, how to manage, um, you know, the customer relationships in a little bit of a different way. But you know, the same thing has to happen. You know, the margins have to be there. To do that it's more work and it's obviously you know you're moving smaller volumes you need to make more per ton on on, on the trades that you're doing um you know i guess it's sort of similar to to the oil business if you're going to move into you see guys moving into bunkering and various other types of services that you know maybe aren't interesting all the time all in all parts of the world for really big companies although they're involved in a lot of that um you know you're trying to to service that you know that that smaller niche business um if the margin is is there yeah and it's as you say it's a it's challenging and expensive to get all that set up in place and and i guess you took over perhaps can you tell us the backstory quickly on on greenwich metals and and you know how you how you came to be there and, and what the plan is sure uh, myself and a, and a and a group acquired uh greenwich metals about two years ago with the idea that um, it's well-respected company in the sort of niche, small, particularly um, specialized, if you will, products. And we saw that as an interesting way to kind of apply our knowledge from the larger trading 
type um, entities to a, a higher margin, sort of smaller um, service oriented business. It's quite interesting in the sense that, you know, uh, metals trading is pretty much the same, you know, whether it's big or small in terms of how you may analyze things and how you may, you know, attack, you know, um, the market in terms of trying to find the right areas to be in. Um, you know, I think today, you know, we see probably more of these smaller sort of mid-sized companies on the trading side emerging because there is a big gap between, you know, that really high volume, big trading flows to, to kind of where the market generally is. And it probably will continue, you know, to change over the next couple of years, um, particularly with this um, coronavirus um, issue that's gone through, you know, the market. What do you think the long-term impacts of COVID-19 and I guess the, the trade war that have happened what we'll have on the on the markets. You know, it's I think it's too early to tell, Paul. I think probably it's still unclear kind of what the fallout is gonna be, you know, number one with getting all the countries back to work um in a safe and and proper way and, and what's sort of gonna be the the pushback potentially on China um you know from from you know from what's happened. So I think it'll take a bit of time. I mean, maybe some of these things move a little bit faster than others. I mean, you could see, you know, for instance, some of the automotive guys um, here move production, you know, out of Canada into the U.S. or, or certain parts out of Asia into the U.S. or um, certain things in, in Europe um, being moved around depending on, you know, if Germany, for instance, is in a better position to to work in these kind of conditions than Spain, that may happen. Um, but again, I think it's hard. It's it's not a fast moving thing. Could you see the potential, the possibility that we kind of end, end up with a metals market that looks more like it did 50 years ago, much more regional, much more sort of block driven, you know, much more fragmented. And, and, and could that provide a, a an opportunity like it did, you know, a few decades ago for independent uh fleet-footed traders to to sort of um rise again um i think it's i would say i would answer that two different ways i think that you potentially could see that situation where you know you start to get a lot more regional spread of 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 consumption production go that that that's that is poten potentially um going to happen for a lot of different reasons and i think a lot of countries will look at it for for their own reasons and you know whether it's supply chain related or it's um security related or, or what have you or, or jobs related i think you will start to see things spread out and not be so china-centric necessarily or or or, yeah, or even u.s centric for certain things um and consumers react to that i think it's just gonna be your good old-fashioned supply demand how that plays out on, on the trading side you know look i think you've got a lot of you know big and small trading companies that are very smart and know how to adjust to the different markets. I think, you know, particularly on the lar larger traders, they have offices and they have, you know, skilled people in a lot of, you know, virtually all these different markets. Um, I don't think it's an issue for it to become decentralized again for some, some of the traders where they can start to run their businesses a little bit more regionally. And I don't think that's really a hard thing to do. Um, and of course, you know, the smaller and mid-sized guys, 
they're already positioned, you know, with strengths in certain areas and weaknesses in, in certain other areas. Um, but it does go back to, I think, something you mentioned earlier is, um, you know, it just depends on the markets that, that everybody wants to participate in. Um, there's quite a lot of young, smart people that have come into the business. Um, but the level of experience generally in the industry, um, at least from what we see on the metal side, is, is quite light. Um, from what it's been over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And that's been, you know, for a lot of reasons, you've had a lot of, you know, uh, older participants in the market that have moved on and you've had a lot of, you know, there's been somewhat of a gap in, in kind of bringing up some of the younger talent. And, and you see that, you know, I think quite clearly in your business, um, you know, there'll be an adjustment across the whole spectrum, you know, of, of, um, and that'll adjust like it always does. It's just a matter of timing. Mm. Yeah, I see that as a real challenge, or at least a medium-term challenge, is that you've got, um, well, a number of issues. So you've had the consolidation that has essentially reduced the number of seats um, available and therefore the, the number of people coming through systems. You've also got the um, challenge of if you are automating, as we mentioned earlier, your, your traffic, your, your mid and back office, yeah, there, that's fewer. There are fewer opportunities for people to learn those vital skills of knowing the product, knowing the markets, knowing the regions, um, knowing the clients. You know, so you've just got a, a very small pool to draw on. And I think also the metals industry faces it. You know, it's it also faces challenges in in recruitment at the at the graduate level. Um, you know, you're you're not going to get diverse talent through if if um, it's a, it's not a diverse leadership, um, you know, and you're not also, it's, it's a, it's a market that is cyclical, faces challenges periodically. Um, and it's therefore can be less attractive to graduates that goes for all commodities to other sectors. Uh, do you think those are fair comments? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, look, for, just talking just strictly on the trading side, um, you know, particularly in the commodities space and particularly in the metal space, um, and I'm sure also in, in, in same for, for other parts of the oil space and so on, you know, the assets are the people that are going up and down the uh, up and down the elevator each day, as they say, and those are your assets. You know, you don't really have really much else, you know, and if, if you have a sort of slowdown of people coming into the industry, uh, younger people or new people. Um, it'll have an impact, you know, at some point. And, you know, I think there's a lot of companies that are, that have spent a lot of time trying to train new people and, and to get them, you know, familiar with, with, um, how they do business and so on. Um, but if the business, you know, as, as we're saying, you know, continues to evolve, continues to change, you know, it will be hard, I think, to find, you know, not to find good people, but to find people that are willing to, you know, come into an industry which is changing and evolving and, you know, has uncertainties around it and is, is um, you know, uh, potentially a little bit difficult to train and, 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 uh, and so let's say develop talent like it used to. Um, so, you know, I think, you, you know, you see those things much clearer. And, and I think, you know, uh, you see a lot of things happening where mm. you don't necessarily, when you're going out looking to hire somebody today for, for let's say a trading role, it doesn't have to necessarily be somebody who's from the metals business. It can be somebody from any industry who's a, you know, a smart person who can understand the changes and, and so on. So the pool is there. It's just a matter of 
realigning the pool to the business and the business being, you know, flexible to, to, to use that talent properly. Yeah. Having, you know, putting in place kind of robust coaching and mentorship and apprenticeship. I mean, that's what the, you know, it is a professional service ultimately. And that's typically how people get trained is shadowing other people. So you've got those systems in place. And I, and I quite agree. I think that actually there's a huge opportunity to draw on trading talent from other commodities. It takes more work. It's harder. Um, but you can at the junior mid level, you can certainly take individuals from other commodities, and they'll very quickly um, grasp metals. I'm for sure. Um, you know, you, ultimately, if you look at how the gas and power trading space was uh, populated, it was people coming from coal, oil, ags. You know, because um, no one had the trading experience within those commodities when they they started getting traded in the late nineties. Um, so it's definitely been done before. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Well, it's been a um, an absolute pleasure to talk. Um, we wish you all the all the best and success at, at Greenwich Medals, um, and uh, yeah, look forward to hopefully having you on again in the future. Hearing uh, hearing what was the impact of COVID nineteen. Yes, thanks, Paul. I really appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Excellent. Thanks again. Take care. Thank you for listening. To find out more about HC and HC Insider, go to hcinsider.com. There you'll find interviews and other content on the commodities markets produced by Human Capital, a search firm dedicated to the commodity space.